0: How are you doing there? How are you doing? It's Tuesday's Richie Allen radio show. That's the one. It's a miserable day in Salford in the Northwest. But hey, we've got each other now. It is uh May the 4th be with you. That's what it is. To my Jedi brethren and sistrin, you you big massive geeks. Happy May the 4th of July. May the 4th. May the what the hell are you talking about? May the 4th be with you, that's the one. I've got two brilliant guests. Tuesday's programme. Hope you had a great bank holiday weekend. I did.
1: It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen radio show live from Salford in Greater Manchester.
2: It's the Richie Allen show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen.
0: Yeah, Piers Corbin is running for mayor of London. You know this. He'll be with me in the second hour to discuss that and more. Uh, David Curtin was on the programme last week. Piers Corbin today. And before that, Tony Gosling will be live from Bristol, rounding up the big stories of the day and of the weekend just gone. That's uh, thisweek.org.uk. Tony Gosling, broadcaster, former BBC journalist and good friend of mine. As usual, if you'd like to make some sort of contribution yourself, you need only tweet me. It's BBG Richie. that's the Twitter handle. All righty, yes, good weekend. Nice, the weather was abysmal. I felt sorry for poor old Laura Leighton yesterday, but not just Laura at the railway in in Marberley. Anybody else in the country who couldn't serve their customers outdoors because of the inclement weather. And of course, because of the tyranny of these ridiculous arbitrary restrictions, they weren't in any position to tell their punters, go inside and we'll serve you in there. Madness. Terrible weekend weather-wise for our publicans. Hopefully better times ahead for them. Please God. Yes. All good with you? Bit mad here. Mad old day. It's always mad, isn't it, after a bank holiday? You've got lots to catch up on. Anyway, come here and I tell you, I'm sure you know this by now. Iran, that is the Islamic state of Iran, has been accused. Well, it's been accused of um, interfering in the Scottish election.
2: What kind of fuckery is (laughs) this?
3: Yeah,
0: yeah, it's fantastic. A think tank called the Henry Jackson Society produced a report over the weekend. It came out yesterday and it says that Tehran is using fake social media accounts to break up the UK. That's what the Iranians are doing. The Baxters, The bastards They're sitting around and they're creating fake social media accounts to try and influence sweaty socks. That's the jocks up north. That's what the Iranians are doing. Now this think tank, the Henry Jackson Society, offers not a shred of evidence, but it doesn't matter. Because we live in the land of... Like Enid Blyton's faraway tree, every now and then at the top of the tree, the land of no evidence required whatsoever, thank you, sir. That's what it's called. The land of no evidence whatsoever required, thank you, sir. Don't ask for any evidence. The report says that Iran has put considerable effort into developing its political relationships with Scottish political elites who advocate in who advocate independence. That's what the report says. The Iranians have been trying to develop relationships politically with Scottish political elites. Does it name these elites The report? Of course it doesn't. Vaudeville on the BBC and Sky this morning. Belly laughs. You know the laugh that's so hard you make a little bit of wee-wee in your undercrackers. That was me this morning. Stephen Dixon on Sky, the presenter. All, all morbid and serious. Iran has been accused of interfering in the Scottish elections this morning. Joining us to discuss this is Alan Frampton, formerly Deputy Head of MI6. Alan, good morning. This is a worrying development. Yeah, good morning, Stephen. Yeah, yeah. The Iranians are dark actors. Yeah, we've known this for some time. No questions! Let him say whatever he wants about the Iranians. The Iranians kidnapped Shergar. The Iranians caused that accident at that theme park that ended up with that girl losing her leg. The Iranians are kidnapping everybody's dogs during lockdown. No proof needed. None! It's been like that for a long time, though, hasn't it? That isn't new. The Iranians, Scottish elections. Khomeini's like, what? Give over. Speaking of elections, wrote about this on richieallen.co.uk today because it was worth mentioning. And that is that a number of people I know, including one Piers Corbyn, who will be on the programme next hour, have had their accounts deleted or banned or suspended or whatever. And some of these people are candidates in an election... ...this coming Thursday. So either in a local authority election... ...or in a mayoral election... ...or something like that... ...and they've paid their money... ...they're on the ballot. Yet they've been deleted by Twitter. Now look, you and I both know... ...elections don't really matter in the long run. We know this, right? But, there is a but, there is a big but. Why does Twitter get away with it? And Facebook get away with it? Okay? It's extremely prejudicial to those anti-lockdown and anti-dodgy vaccine candidates, okay, vaccine safety candidates, you could call them. Uh, Very, very prejudicial to them not to be able to tweet out what they want to tweet out. How can it be acceptable? We'll get into this and more with Piers Corbyn in the second hour. I'm sure Tony Gosling will have something to say about it as well. Julia Hartley Brewer was getting irate this morning with Tory Minister Liz Truss. I do believe Liz Truss these days holds the International Development Secretary post. I think that's her. They were talking about why the easing of restrictions is so slow when there are no cases of coronavirus. Nobody's in hospital. Nobody's dying. Apparently yesterday, the UK recorded a single death. Just the one. And that's, of course, somebody who died within 28 days of testing positive. It's a load of bollocks. Basically, let's have a listen to a little bit of uh, Julia Hartley Brewer and Liz Truss this morning.
4: But lots of people said that we wouldn't be able to develop this vaccine so quickly, it would take years. They were proved wrong. Yeah, no, it's they absolutely brilliant. Wrong. And it's
5: been a fantastic... I, listen, I I, I will criticise the government when I think they're making the wrong decisions, when they've done the right stuff, when it comes to the vaccine rollout, the 12-week delay on the second dose. Absolutely superb. But we are failing to reap the dividends. The Health Secretary, your colleague, Matt Hancock, said on January the 7th, we, w- we went into the lockdown, we were rolling out the vaccine. He said once the most vulnerable people have been vaccinated, and he meant 70-plus, not 50-plus, including my age bracket, um, and they've had their two vaccines... He said that we would cry freedom. We've still got another seven weeks to go till June the 21st. And the prime minister has said there is a good chance, but no guarantee that we're going to be legally allowed to hug people we don't live with. You are someone who has battled for freedom, for liberal values, uh, free trade, free—you know free people making free choices all your political life. Do you not realise how insane it is That we have these restrictions on our life when yesterday one death was recorded from COVID.
0: Yes, Liz. Do you realise that how ridiculous it is? Do you? Do you?
4: Of course, Julia, it's incredibly frustrating to have all these restrictions in place. It's insane. What we what we need to do Do you not
5: think it's insane? One person One person was recorded to have died yesterday in the UK. And we have, um 67 million people have restrictions on their lives. That's insane. There could but be. I think
4: people can appreciate that we don't want to end up re-importing the vaccine. The, the virus. There are lots of dangerous. Sorry, the virus. Sorry, there are lots of dangerous variants. There are. Uh, There's there yet are...
5: to be a variant that doesn't uh, that the the virus the vaccine doesn't work on though.
4: That that is absolutely correct. But we can't be complacent. We need to keep developing yes. the vaccines. We need to make sure that we have the proper procedures in place and we do need to make sure that any opening up is irreversible because the worst possible scenario would have to be going back to more restrictions. But that, which none would, of be us a, so that would be a political choice. You, no, no i to see the economy this, opened up.
5: Liz we... Strauss, this, this idea that this is going to be forced on the government, these are political choices. Advisors, advise. Politicians make decisions. It is a political choice of the Prime Minister and a political choice with all due respect of cabinet ministers like yourself to stay in a cabinet and not speak out against these measures.
0: Brewer is still labouring under the misapprehension that these decisions are being made by Matt Hancock and Boris Johnson. Do you think Brewer really understands it and is just obfuscating or is Julia Hartley Brewer really that thick? Is she does she actually believe that the decisions to keep the country in never-ending lockdown are being made by Boris Johnson?
5: Maybe she does. I'm not against these measures when you don't think they... You either agree with them or you don't agree with them. If you're still in the Cabinet, I assume you agree with them. And you genuinely think it's completely sane and reasonable for 67 million people to be banned from hugging people outside their household, to be banned currently from meeting indoors when one person was recorded to have died of COVID in the entire country yesterday. You genuinely think that's a sane and reasonable policy? Mm. What I'm saying to you... Yes, Julia, it's a yes, or a, no. working, it's a yes working or a no. It's a yes or a no, with
4: all due respect. Look, I appreciate. I completely appreciate that. You think that's sane and reasonable? We want We want to see life go back to normal.
0: Right, jump in, Julian. To it
5: can go back to normal to today. It could
4: go back to normal today, if you chose. What we don't want to do is jeopardise the progress we've made. How would it
5: jeopardise the and progress? I think... How would it jeopardise the progress? 50 million jabs given out. All of the most vulnerable have had their second jabs. How would it jeopardise the progress?
4: What we don't want to see is re-importing the virus or the re emergence of a difficult strain. What's that got
5: to do with people hugging each other and opening pubs indoors? What's that got to do with it?
4: We are being cautious to avoid the risk <laughs> of the virus re-emerging. And I think people understand that. And we will be making progress. We've got a roadmap that more opening up is going to happen on the 17th of May. Further opening up is due for the 21st of June. And you know, certainly the people I speak to around the country, Julia, understand that we're being cautious so that the decisions we make are irreversible, they're not irreversible.
5: They're not the irreversible. Process. You could bring lockdown back in the autumn,
0: and they will bring lockdown back in the autumn. I loved how Julia was channeling Robert De Niro's character Jimmy in Goodfellas earlier on when he was trying to collect a debt from Maury in Maury's wigs. Do you remember that?
5: Can go back to normal today. It can go but back, to normal, to, do, can go back to normal
0: to today. Today, today we chose today. What we I do. want my money today. God damn it. Julie Hartley Brewer, International Development Secretary, Liz Truss there, arguing. Over on LBC Radio in the meantime, bearded Burke James O'Brien. Uh, Burke is an English insult, by the way. Look it up. It never caught on in Era Nua. Never caught on in Ireland, you stupid Burke. But it's not used in the UK anymore, sadly. Anyway, Bearded Burke, James O'Brien, LBC Radio. He's disgusted at people who want to end the lockdown now. He's disgusted that we want to speed up the ending of the lockdown. And he's going to explain why with an analogy. James O'Brien.
2: And yesterday's figures showing that only one person had died uh, added to that sense of us being halfway down the other side of the mountain. And, and I don't want to sound complacent or um, anything like that. One worries, of course, about the number of people who are still uh, talking twaddle. Forgive me. I'm, I'm sure we can be friends again one day. But, but for now, I, I find your position repellent. People talking twaddle about vaccines and uh, and, and, and lockdowns and what have you. I, I came up with one of my infernal analogies for, for people who want to rush towards leaving lockdown. Because
0: now, James has got an analogy, an infernal one, for people who want to rush to the end of lockdown and not go with the roadmap.
2: And because the numbers are finally looking um, good, and I know that's a relative term, and I know that you, you, you know that, so let's neither of us pretend otherwise. What a dickhead this guy is. It, it, it's a lifeboat. The lockdown is a lifeboat. Right? Lockdown is a lifeboat, right. Right. The shore is herd immunity. <laughs> and the pandemic is the ship that we were... The SS pandemic. ...were all on. So the ship sank, uh, as in coronavirus hit. Right. We, thankfully, almost all of us got onto a lifeboat. A huge is, number of us got onto a lifeboat. Which is uh, a lockdown. An unforgivable number of right. people didn't. But the idea that because... <laughs> I don't know what's funny about this. <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? That No. Just there's a lot of people on the lifeboat. We should jump out of it before we get to shore is it seems to me absolutely insane
0: but what if the water is only
2: three feet deep you stay in the lifeboat until you get to the safest possible place you can reach you don't stay in the lifeboat forever you stay in the lifeboat until you get to shore and shore (laughs) is a vaccinated population or the the correct usage of that infernal term herd immunity infernal how do we get to herd immunity james When the herd has developed immunity either through antibodies developed by having the virus or vaccines designed to immunise us against the virus, that's when you get out of the lifeboat. So it's astonishing, really, to see people still screaming about needing to come out quicker, loosen this, loosen that.
0: Uh, It's astonishing to see people who want to come out quicker. By people you mean businessmen and women, employers, people who've got bills to pay, children to feed, children to clothe who've lost nearly everything. It's astonishing to see them screaming that we should be opening up again, is it really? It's easy to say that when you're a dickhead who sits and spouts bollocks at LBC Radio in Trafalgar Square in London and you get £300,000 a year for the privilege. Very easy to criticise people who want to end lockdown. Ordinary people, you know, people who don't earn £300,000 fucking pounds a year. And are going to the wall. Are watching the businesses that they built up with their life, blood, sweat and tears go under. They know there's no COVID left if there ever was any fucking COVID. They know this. And they know the hospitals are empty. They know that people are not dying. And they just want to get back to work to see if they can save their businesses. But you want to criticise them. From your ivory tower. You know, £300,000 a year salary. That. Tough guy, huh?
2: Because we're... Tough guy. We're still in the lifeboat. And loosening the lockdown early, before the data has delivered what is desired, is a bit like saying, oh, we're miles away from the ship now. We're miles away from the ship. Look, the ship's disappeared over the other side of the horizon. Let's all jump out of the lifeboat. We're nowhere near the sinking ship anymore. Let's all jump out of the lifeboat. Yeah. Keith, are you writing this down? Um, you can have that for nothing.
0: I don't want it, for nothing. That is what masquerades as journalism on national radio in the UK in 2021. That garbage there. Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party, expected to get a shellacking at, uh, well, in a number of seats on, on Thursday. He's expected to get a bit of a hiding, the Labour Party, in the local elections, the regional mayoral elections and all of that. He was on the BBC this morning where he was interviewed by a presenter called Louise Minchin. And Louise Minchin wanted to get into unconscious bias training because Starmer apparently offended some people of colour last year. You you might remember this. He was commenting on Black Lives Matter, the silly movement, the Soros-funded movement, Black Lives Matter, and he said it was a moment. That offended a lot of black people and people of colour and some dreadlock wearing white scruffy people. It offended them as well, right? So at that point it was, the possibility was mooted that he would need to be re-educated. Was he re-educated? Here he is on the BBC breakfast programme this morning.
4: Last year you were here on this programme and you faced criticism after you called Black Lives Matter protest a moment. Um, You later apologised and you promised that you would undergo unconscious bias training. (laughs) Did you do that?
3: I did do that. Um, And I also explained, I think, on this programme, what I meant when I said a moment, mainly a defining moment. Ah. And black lives matter because black lives matter. And I'm very clear about that.
0: Very clear about this. Black lives do matter now. Um,
4: What did you learn
2: from that training? I think exactly what you would expect, which is what are the... Subconscious. No,
0: no, I'll tell you what you learned, Keir, you dipstick, on the unconscious bias training. I'll tell you what you learned, son. It was drilled into you that you must check. You must check. Always check, right, with the woke brigade on Twitter and on Facebook and of momentum in your own party. You must always check with them What is the right opinion before opening your mouth and actually telling us what you think? That's what you learn during unconscious bias training. That's what you learn. You learn never to, ever, ever to give your own real opinion, your own heartfelt feelings on any given topic. No, no, no. What's the woke thing to say? Go and check up what the accepted opinion is to have and then basically just blurt that out. Or repeat that, and on you go. I won't subject you to any more of Starmer. This made me laugh, though, this afternoon. Don't know if you saw this this morning. From today, the cost of changing your legal gender has come down from £140 to £5. uh, Seemingly to make it easier for transgender people to afford to do it, to legally change your gender. And um, it's taken the process online, basically. It it follows a promise by the government to make applying for a gender recognition certificate a little bit more kind and a bit more straightforward. Liz Truss was talking about this this morning. We don't need to hear her again. Robbie DeSantos is the communications director with Stonewall, LGBT pressure group Stonewall. He, Robbie DeSantos, he was on Sky this afternoon with a presenter whose name escapes me and she wanted to know why is this kind of important for the trans folks.
4: When you speak to transgender people, Robbie, how important is it for them to legally change their gender?
1: So it's it's not necessarily the top priority for most trans people. I think if you ask trans people today what's important for the, for them and their lives, you know people would talk about kind of hate crime. They talk about um, the way that trans people are talked about in the media, which is very demoralising and upsetting a lot of the time. They talk about um, healthcare and the, the the lengthy waiting times for specialist gender healthcare. So it's there's lots of other things that where trans people experience a lot of inequality uh, and they aren't getting their needs met. But gender recognition in, in, in the law is, is important to people. It's it's a really symbolic um, piece of validation. It's a-
0: he gets to the heart of it now. It's a symbolic bit of validation, right? It's important to these people that we avow, that we certify, and we do it vocally some way or another, that we accept that there's nothing wrong with them that they really were born in the wrong body. And he lays it out here.
1: Validation. It's the state saying to you, I believe that you are trans. I believe that you are who you are. And it's the same, you know, it's similar to when there was equal marriage and um, LGBT people
0: were it's got no similarity whatsoever. It has no basis. This, this, this comparison with, with marriage. This is nonsense. He said the important point here is, is that the state acknowledges and accepts that you are who you say you are. If you've got meat and two veg and you're under crackers but you say you're a woman, the state is accepting that to be true. Why is that important? We'll find out in a
1: minute. Get married. It's a similar thing in terms of just having that that recognition, that validation that your life is, is, is worth the same as everyone else's. is. That, that you are seen as the gender that you say you are um, in the law. It really does matter to people. So so I think it's, it's not the most important thing, but it's still really important. That- it
0: is the most important thing. So they want to enshrine it in law then. So the government accepts and hands you a piece of paper that says, yes, you are really a woman, even though you obviously are not. Okay? And he says it's very important for mental health issues, for acceptance and all of that. That is monumental bollocks. That is not what it's about. I'll tell you what it's about. It's about get, get, achieving the means to go after people and to destroy people who don't agree with it. To To go after those who say, I have no problem with how you live your life. I'll never discriminate against you. Good luck to you, but I don't believe you're really a woman. And by introducing, by making it easier for people to change their gender legally, and by going after certificates whereby the government says, right, we we officially declare that you're not a man, and in fact you're a woman. The purpose of that is to give them the tools then to destroy anybody who says, I don't believe it. And I don't agree with it. That's my opinion. So, Richie Allen radio show, Tuesday's programme, 22 and a half minutes past five o'clock. Nothing like it. Tony Gosling from Bristol, right now, coming up. And Piers Corbin in hour too. David Bowie. David Bowie, David Bowie, and let's dance on the Richie Allen Show, 26 and a half minutes past five o'clock. Tony Gosling has asked me for a couple of minutes to get himself ready. Ah, he's there now, PG Let's get him on then. Uh, ex journalist, terrific broadcaster, Bristol, thisweek.org.uk, the politics show every Friday. It's always a pleasure to welcome back to the programme the one and only Tony Gosling. Welcome back to the show. How you doing, Tony? Fine. Hi. Thanks for being there. Um, I think it's a story worth looking into. Um, a number of candidates who, who threw their hats into various rings around the country, be it local authority elections, be it um, regional mayoral elections, obviously all of this taking place on Thursday, a number of anti-lockdown And vaccine safety candidates have had their Twitter accounts deleted. Some of them have had it happen to them since they paid their deposit and, and, uh, you know, got their names on the ballot. Um, Twitter doing that. That's election interference, if ever there was election interference, right? Well, of course it is.
6: And it shows you that the Bilderberg social media companies, we're talking about the Facebooks, the Linkedins, these people the Googles, et cetera, uh, are just doing what the mass media has been doing. Yeah, so they just, you know, once they herd everybody off the mass media because of the infantile, you know, celebrity gossip lies that they tell, uh, everyone's herded onto the social media, the commercial social media, and then they start doing exactly what the previous lot did.
0: The the current digital culture and media secretary is a guy called Oliver Dowden. I know that some of these people who've been banned and deleted have written to him to ask him to look into it. But th- if if they're going to hold their breath, they're they're going to run out of air, aren't they? I mean, n- no government is going to take them on. That's not the point. The point is it's too late. Yeah, If these people wanted to get their stuff out on social media it's too late, to then.
6: win an election, the election's gone. Yeah. So it's a slam dunk. I mean, the media is, you know, in so many ways is in the middle of all the trouble, you know, so they, they are, uh, you know, the well, as I've said many times, the, these people are the nerve system of humanity, the, the media, the press, and it's how we, you know, keep ourselves going and repair damage in society, things like that. You know, the yeah. idea that when the courts fail us, that the last court of appeal is your world in action or whatever, you know, so... Uh, it's it 's a key site of struggle, and if you can 't get stuff out on the media, I mean, for example, if you cannot pick up the phone as people can with you, Richie, and just say what you want to say, something you 're concerned about, and get it out to the nation you know you can 't do that in China, you know yeah that's right <laughs> that 's the big difference
0: it 's ironic on a day that the u k government is accusing Iran bizarrely of attempting to interfere in the Scottish. Election on Thursday.
6: Oh, what a joke!
0: Oh, that's outrageously. <laughs> Who? But but, our people believe in this. Is the average man or woman who's reading the Telegraph going to work if they're still going to work, or who's watching watching it on Sky News this morning? Are they actually buying this nonsense?
6: Do you think? I think a lot of people do because they are not aware of the extent to which the press over the last thirty or forty years has been twisted and is being used to manipulate them. So the thing is, people. that's one of the things, I, I I've told you this story before, but we had a phone in when I was working for the BBC in Southampton, and it was a very popular phone in and this morning uh it was a uh, the it was the, uh, something to do with the very first Gulf War and there was a load of people from Portsmouth who'd been uh you know involved or families involved with servicemen that were going off to and and the phone in lines opened up, and there was no lights uh on the phone desk so i was thinking, I said to the turn to the producer i said what well, what's going on?" No one's phoning in. Normally it was a very popular. And she said, Well, we haven't told them what to think yet. <laughs> and it was, it was, she had a smile. She was actually a really <laughs> lovely woman. Yeah. And uh, so she, because she realized she hadn't really done her job properly. And she, she did a, she typed out very quickly a script, a, a script as the first record was going out. And I whipped it through to the presenter and, uh, she she started reading, the presenter started reading it just after that. And you could see literally by the time she got to the bottom of the sheet of paper, the, the phone lines were going, because there were all sorts of concerns that people might have, you know, have they ever visited that part of the world? Yeah. You know, if, would it, wouldn't it be that you might be going to somewhere in the Middle East on holiday rather than to war, you know, all these sorts of things to prompt people's thinking. And this is the thing with the mass media, particularly is you don't know what you don't know. And they're censoring it. They're censoring it massively. All this stuff to do with ivermectin, you know, for example, uh, you know, this antiviral, which is, you know, it's not a magic bullet, but yeah. it can save your life. And, you know, there's a lot of doctors who are getting extremely upset that they're being ignored and not listened to and want to prescribe it and are stop being stopped from prescribing. It. And not only that. Loads of the content that they're putting up online is just being deleted by the Googles. It's not being deleted by most ordinary internet service providers, et cetera, by the big guys. The guys that have decided that they are taking over from the traditional mass media. You know, we're, we're, talking, we're talking here about, you know, the obvious, you know, Twitters, Facebooks, et cetera, have been getting really strict about this. And they're trying to make out that we are killing people by talking about these antiviral drugs, which don't care about whether something's a... Uh, you know, a, uh, a var- new variant or not, no. they'll they'll help save your life, whatever variant it is. But the thing is, they're not vaccines, and this whole agenda is all about you know, trying to get everybody, you know, another regime of vaccines. I also think this whole business of having two vaccines is very important. I don't think it's medically necessary to have two vaccines, but millions of people are having two, well, probably, probably billions of people are having two vaccines because it gets you into the habit of, oh, one is not enough. You're going to have to have another one and another one and another one.
0: And this is about an income stream. It's not about people's health. No, no it isn't. We'll come back to that in a moment actually because that's very important particularly talk about vaccinating every child in the country, which is which is untenable. It's, it's unconscionable, really. Children are not affected by whatever uh, coronavirus is or was. We'll come back to that in a moment. I know you've been talking on social media about London last week, where several hundred thousand people at least came out. You must have laughed on Sunday. I'm up here in Salford. I'm literally... I, I, you know I smack people who say literally. I'm only around the corner from Old Trafford Football Stadium. I can walk to it in 15 to 20 minutes. And... You have a few thousand United fans up in arms about the ownership of the club, that's fair enough, and all of that you mightn't approve of guys bursting in and getting on the pitch. But blanket coverage from Sky and the BBC. Blanket, not a dicky bird about what was going on in London, Tony.
6: Well, I think both are important stories, actually. Uh, it may be that the uh, one was orchestrated to blot out the other. Who knows? As an excuse, anyway, to blot out the other. These sort of things, you know, this whole business about good day- good days to bury bad news. Uh, of course, that the opposite can be true. You know, uh, stuff can be made to happen on certain days uh, that will mean that something else won't get so much coverage it was otherwise have done. They're both important stories. They both should be covered. There is enough room on a bulletin to cover both. Oh, yeah. Look. Uh, you know it's really important obviously that uh, the ownership of these football clubs is challenged when the owners are obviously not not working not only in the uh, fans interests or the players interests uh, they're not working in the city that is its interests they're not even working in the national interest that they are just another arm of a kind of globalist uh, menace which is out there I mean I've been looking at the, all these local elections loads and loads of these mayors etc which are being uh, Elected uh, by people don't realise what they're 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 voting for. Most of the mayor candidates that are out there are pro-globalist, so they're into the idea of having each city as not really interested in central government, but linking up with other cities around the world, bringing in businesses from abroad, not about supporting local businesses. And if people knew that they possibly wouldn't be voting for these mayors. So there's a globalist agenda out there on lots of different levels. And and a lot of times I think people are, you know, not aware it's even taking place. I mean, for example, we had a business meeting recently in Bristol and there's, you know, local businesses weren't invited, but they're inviting and paying for to accept, well, they're paying for all the food everything for them um, for from all, all over Europe. Now, this is actually a Romanian agenda uh, and yeah. being paid for with public money.
0: With public money. We, we're already 25 minutes to six o'clock. We've got um, in, in, in the interest of absolute fairness and balance, uh, I'm going to give a lot of time to Piers Corbyn in the second hour because I gave a lot of time to David Curtin last uh, Thursday. And time flies, so I want to jump around a few issues with you. Before we come back to sure. vaccines, do you b- believe, as I do, that this net zero carbon agenda is connected to the agenda to vaccinate every man, woman and child in the country.
6: Well, I don't know. But the zero carbon thing is absolute nonsense, I think. The idea that you cannot put any carbon into the atmosphere, look, we're made of carbon. Uh, All this stuff about, you know, when I very first saw this stuff about um, cow farts, right, (laughs) making a great big, uh, you know, I I, I knew straight away, looking at that, it was total rubbish. But the thing is, people pick up on it and people take it seriously and, oh, you're a terrible person if you question it. But this, I think, is a way of actually 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 sorting out people who are compliant and pliable to their agenda so anyone that sort of laughs at it and ridicules it will be will be noted down you know yeah yeah <laughs> and made sure that they don't get the funding whatever and I think this is what's happened I mean i'm a I would I mean I stood as a green councillor years ago in Bristol uh, I'm an environmentalist I think that creation is a wonderful thing needs to be looked after uh, you know etc I don't like pollution all these sorts of things but I've seen the, the green agenda absolutely Hijacked by these people. Uh, you know the idea of zero carbon. When so did that happen? to this he? coming from? This
0: is very important now because you're speaking from great experience. When oh. when did it happen? When did the green? Because I when I started in commercial radio as a producer, when I started as a presenter first of music, then I went on to news and current affairs, like yourself. And I used to meet greens, and I could name some of these people in Ireland. They were lovely people. They weren't insane. They weren't talking about decarbonising the economy. When they, well. The, the entire country, the entire planet. When did, did it happen? When did it change, as far as you can okay, tell? So it
6: was gradual, but there were some very big milestones in that. One of them was Fukushima. And uh, when that happened, there was an absolute reaction in the environmental movement against everything nuclear. Uh, at the same time, an old friend of mine, George Monbiot, who was by then a Guardian columnist, he wrote a column about Fukushima defending nuclear power and attacking... Uh, Chris Busby, who you and I have uh, interviewed many times, yeah. and he's actually now left Britain. He's you know, had enough of the place yeah, yeah. because he's been harassed by the police, etc. Now, Chris did an amazing job over the years in exposing how both the industry and the government were working together to cover up cancer deaths and cas- cancer clusters around nuclear power stations uh, because they were trying to say, well, nuclear power is not dangerous. You know, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. Um, and, uh, well, the nuclear pe- bomb stuff, well, that is, you know, a little bit, we? we've got to be very careful with that. But it was a lie, and and Chris exposed that. And this was after Fukushima... Uh, the Germans stopped their entire nuclear program and Britain was potentially going to follow suit. You know, we're saying, well, look, this is actually incredibly expensive and we're not, you know, and it's not green. But anyway, George then did a whole diatribe about, first of all, how Chris Busby was, a, a, well, he, did, he did a hatchet job on the guy, which is one of the most horrific pieces of journalism I've ever seen, because Chris really was a man of the people doing a fantastic job for the environmental movement and saving people's lives by to explain to them how, what was going on with the um, with the power stations. Um, so that whole business made me absolutely sick. And, of course, they then uh, decided that actually nuclear is great. It's good. How do you get an environmentalist to decide that a nuclear power station, which is going to produce all this waste, right, which you, you can't do anything with, no, at don't. massive, massive cost, and really the only benefit of it is to produce plutonium and enriched uranium for nuclear weapons, for the nuclear weapons industry, for the maniacs, right, how do you convince them? Anyway, he managed to do it through his Guardian column, and he was pretty impervious up there. And there were a whole bunch of other Greens who coined themselves Greens, who I would call them just Green fascists, actually, fake environmentalists who are using the Green agenda. to. And that, that I think, was a very important milestone in this. This, I think, has spiralled now into the idea that a nuclear power station is a fantastic thing to have, and a coal-fired power station is terrible. Uh, well yeah okay, you know they, what they 've proved through this absolute reliance on renewable energy that it 's not resilient, you know you get a difficult winter the the you know the wind where turbines freeze up the the solar but they' so they 've got to have their nuclear power stations yeah, and that 's why i i think uh you know that. We've seen, of course, there's another side to this, Richie, and that is that if we get a war in the Middle East, there ain't going to be no oil coming. There's going to be very, very little in the way of um, fossil fuels apart from coal, maybe, available. So they, I think they're restructuring the energy industry uh, to prepare for a possible war, but they don't, they're not telling us that.
0: A possible war. So the, the never-ending propaganda against Iran and Russia then playing a part in that. One of the reasons well, I believe... of
6: the getting rid of the cars as well. Of getting course, rid the of cars. And diesel yeah. cars It's another part of the same agenda. And all they're doing... By the way, as I was driving uh, through the Cotswolds uh, half an hour ago, uh, I, I was watching so both sides of the roads. We're seeing loads and loads of trees have been chopped down. Now, I don't know what's happening here. This is supposedly a green agenda where people are paying loads of money to plant. New trees. Well, hang on a minute. Where are all these trees going and why are they all being cut down? Yeah. I've never seen it in my entire lifetime, right, my 50 years, where there have been operations right around Gloucestershire, around Bristol, Somerset, etc., where over the last year or so, you know, thousands and thousands of trees have just been taken from the roadside. Why? Has anybody and said now, why? Well, they're going, to, they going to, for wood pulp, for the, for the good old green wood pulp industry. And remember that Planet of the Humans film last year that exposed that what's going on here is that the so-called green environmental movement is destroying our forests and destroying our green. It's an inversion, green, isn't it? It's a,
0: it's a complete oh. inversion. It's turning logic on its head. Uh, a, a green agenda to chop down and it, They get away
6: with this with the complicity of the BBC, the mass media and the Facebooks, etc. So that if people start calling it out for what it is, they get banned or they just get
0: blacklisted. Banned and know, blacklisted. Like poor old David Bellamy did on BBC. David Bellamy famously, that's right. And this is why all the parties are in lockstep with the agenda. One of the reasons I draw that, compar- not comparison, but why I link lockdown and this agenda is I, look I'm, I'm you know, I, I think once in my broadcasting life that I ever get something right and anybody could have gotten it right I said that Epstein might kill himself and he did but I think last year I could see that they would look at lockdown and they would say lockdown is making the world more. It's making the the air more breathable. It's making the environment cleaner. And it's helping with CO2 emissions. And I said very early on last year, it won't be long, Tony, that they will use lockdowns As a planet saver. Now, what I mean by that is, let me quickly qualify before you come back in. What I mean is, it might not be beyond the bounds of possibility that sometime in the next couple of years, we might get allocated driving time. Like, I'm living in Bristol, right? But I'm living across the road from UT. So they say, right on Tony's side of the road, you get to take the car out at the weekends three and four, or one and three, on Richie's side of the road, my side of the road, you get to take the car out on weekend one and weekend three, or weekend two and weekend four. I see that coming, I really do. What do you think?
6: Why not? 1988, I had a a briefing at the Department of Transport, um, Department of Transport, as it was in those days, where they were talking about road pricing, and they were sounding out me, as an individual journalist, the top officials at the DOT, on how are we going to introduce road pricing? Because this is what we want to do. Now, they weren't explaining to me why they wanted to do it. Uh, they want the idea that if you can afford a car, then you can afford to pay a toll. They figured that one out. But they were yeah. not happy with just making people pay tolls. They wanted people to pay fees for driving everywhere and anywhere every day. So rather than paying for the fuel uh, or pay- and paying for a car, they want an extra fee, an extra tax to go to the government. Now, this is just racketeering. So the idea that, uh, you know, you're not, you're not actually making money out of uh, making a better widget or whatever it is you're building. You're not doing that. What you're doing is you're just taxing things that people need to do every day. You've destroyed public transport pretty much. I don't know if people enjoy using – actually, London's pretty good. But in most places, the buses are awful. Certainly in Bristol, the buses are horrendous. Uh, the uh, taxi service is being decimated in Bristol. We've had half the uh, blue cabs in Bristol, the Hackney cabs, destroyed over the last five years because of uh, uh, them allowing Uber in. Basically, the council has done some sort of backhand deal with the the Uber. So we've got no proper public transport. So people have to have a car. But, oh, dear, uh, you know, you've got to pay extra. And this is what the government – the government is turning into a for-profit racket company, not a uh, government which is serving the people in any way. And so it doesn't really surprise me, you know, when when people get (sighs) – Tax for just going out of the and you may well be right. The other thing of course, is, almost most cities have restricted the traffic. I mean, Bristol massively, but other cities too over the Covid. And of course, now all the traffic's starting to return, they're gridlocked almost straight away. So they're saying, Oh dear, we've got gridlock. we're going to have to introduce congestion charges. It's yeah. all rather transparent if you take a long view like I do.
0: Very good uh, coverage, by the way. I follow you obviously on Twitter and I recommend you do too, people. It's at Tony Gosling on Twitter. Follow him. Really good work on what's happened to the Hackney drivers there. That's a really big story. And uh, you've done well on that. This is not meant to be flippant, glib, childish or silly. I don't see it being too... I don't see it as a ridiculous notion, the idea in the future. They'll ask us to wear a device that converts or traps the carbon dioxide we breathe out, Tony. Oh, God. Well, I
6: hope not. Hopefully there'll be a revolution before that
0: point. I know it sounds stupid. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But they've got people used to wearing face masks, which do absolutely nothing to prevent the transmission of antivirus. Face masks, masks even are worthless. Everybody knows this. There is no evidence to support them being efficacious or healthy for a, for a, for a starter. They're unhealthy things, but they've gotten people used to wearing them. They've gotten people used to walking around with, with a covering on their face and people are happy to do it. How long before four, five, six years, somebody says, hey, you can wear this on your face. Why? Well, it'll capture your CO2. I just wouldn't, no, I would put nothing past them.
6: Well, God knows, but I mean, certainly very dystopian, isn't it, all this? Uh,
0: Look, I mean, can I say something about India? Anything. Well, I was going to come to India anyway. Do you believe the stories coming out of India? I think
6: it's important to understand what's been going on there. Bodies in the streets. Back in January, they introduced the uh, vaccines like we did here, but a little bit afterwards in in January. But as part of that vaccine deal, they started to rain right back on the use of ivermectin, which had been the mainstay of their defence against COVID uh, back Back through most of 2020. It's also one of the big centres in the world where ivermectin was being. Um Manufactured. I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with this is an antiviral drug yeah. which uh, was originally designed as an antiparasitic drug but has very powerful antiviral qualities. Basically, it stops the viruses attaching to your cells and injecting it and basically hijacking your cells to produce more viruses. So it's extremely useful. It doesn't matter what variant you've got. And so the Ind- India stopped using it in January and uh, started on their vaccine program. Literally last week, they reintroduced the use of ivermectin again because... because the situation over there was so disastrous, so terrible. And I think because, largely because of the censorship of everything about ivermectin, and uh, I don't know if you've spoken to Dr. Tess Laurie, but her conference last weekend was absolutely brilliant. You know, they're really starting to make a very, very strong case, which is hopefully increasingly difficult for people like Sage, NerveTag, the Cabinet, uh, uh, Matt Hancock, Here's the problem, T. Here's the problem, here's the problem,
0: here's the problem. Tess Laurie was on with me for 40, 45 minutes um, did a brilliant job of explaining how she was able to to analyze the drug and why she was convinced the drug was very, very, very good, very useful in treating uh, this illness. Very good. Obviously, very credible woman has done this for the World Health Organization. But she did tell me during that conversation, she sent all of the data to basically every politician in the country and to the government and nothing. Silence. You could hear a pin drop.
6: Well, it's, it, it's a criminal conspiracy, of I hate to say it, but these people are there just to promote the vaccine, not to promote people's public health. And they're using the, the whole public health message as a con. They're also enormously exaggerating the threats. I mean, what was it, you know, hardly any deaths going on at all, even no. false positive deaths uh, at the moment. So there is no excuse for all of the, you know, the the, the lockdowns, etc. Interesting that Bill and Melinda Gates are getting divorced. I look (laughs) The first time I saw that, my immediate thought, right, is – PR, right, is that most of people like this, many, many people in these super rich positions have got these kind of, you know, relationships which are, you know, convenience or whatever, financial convenience. And I'm not saying they didn't love each other, they never have. But it, this looks to me like a PR job, you know, oh, sympathy for, oh, look, they're human, you know. So let's get talking about the, you know, the relationship between Bill and Melinda and how it's all been a bit of a difficult and so difficult for Bill I reckon this, you'll probably find some of the same PR people have been spinning for the vaccine and now spinning for the Gates Foundation yeah. around the world's press. And there is this organisation, which I came across someone very nicely shared with me the other week. I looked a bit into that quite deeply, Was which is all funded to to do the whole of the UK media's uh, PR work for COVID. So they're constantly on, you know, in touch with all of the science correspondents, all the news editors around the country, giving the same message to every news outlet, all paid for by the pharmaceutical industry
0: now i'm going to ask you this i know you won't agree with it but rather silly and rather silly for me to ask you something and then say you won't agree with it no i'm going to suggest this and i don't i'm not saying i believe this but i'm open to the possibility maybe the vaccines are killing people in india why not? Well, it's quite possible, isn't it? I mean, yeah. the reason it,
6: it, it, this look, there's nothing particularly uh, shocking about that. There shouldn't be to people. Right at the very start of this, in with that excellent article on the Fort Russ website, uh, which, which Robert Kennedy wrote about, was it? I think that the headline was uh, the Messiah. But was it Bill Gates's twisted Messiah complex? Terrific headline. Yeah. and um, that details the mass deaths that have been caused by these vaccines from the Gates Foundation over the years in the we might call the third world, mainly Africa. We were covering the deaths caused by what wasn't actually a vaccine. It was uh, people being injected deliberately with the AIDS virus. It wasn't even a vaccine. It was just that they didn't know what was in the injection. And this far-right you know, white supremacist group in Africa was over in Mozambique and other places injecting black people with AIDS because they wanted to kill black people. And it was supposed to be a vaccine program. So there's a whole history of not only deliberate uses of vaccine uh, programs to, uh, you know, basically for a eugenics agenda uh, and a white supremacist or whatever agenda, but also that the these are experiments on humans that they've been doing, but Gates has been doing. And they were, they were, had large slices of the Budget uh, for, from Pfizer, for example, in their program. I think it was meningitis in in Africa, where they where the money for the for the for the trial of the of the vaccine. Uh, at least half of that sum was to bribe officials, and then to fight court cases. If anyone managed to survive that's long right. enough to or yeah. get the money to take them to court, so they're not really interested in anything but. We are going to trial this and we don't care about the law. We don't care about the nation state. We don't care about the health of the people. We just want a, a few results. It's a bit like, little bit like a live trial of an atomic bomb, isn't it? You know, why, why, why would you try it out in the desert somewhere uh, when you could try it on a city to see yeah. what its actual effect were, was? You know, if you really wanted to know what the effects were, why not do a live trial? And that's what Gates has been doing with these vaccines for decades.
0: And this isn't a vaccine. And I think a point that a lot of people are missing, you, you are not missing it. But I think no, a lot- you're right. Right, of course. The, the, the important thing is, for a number of years now, various NHS people have been saying that the, the country will move away from conventional treatments. I, in other words, treating illness when when it pops up, and th- that they were going to move from from treating illness when it popped up to a more preventative approach. And you and I talked about this some years ago. And alarm bells were ringing straight away. This is the idea that they will give you gene therapy drugs and they've been talking about this openly for many years, right, okay, we won't wait till you get uh, you know, obese, we won't wait till you get uh, diabetes, we won't wait until you develop a, a problem with your kidneys. We've got an injection that we can give you. And that will train your body to recognise the kidney infection in the future, or to recognise the diabetes, and so on, so on, so on. And I think that's what this is about, this whole COVID thing. Whatever the virus is, and you've done some brilliant work on the Far East and how it emerged, and, and I have great respect for that work and I don't disagree with any of it. But uh, for me, the whole thing now is about kind of cultivating an idea, um, planting a seed in people's minds. Get used to being offered things all the time that are good for you and good for society. And don't think about turning it down to Because we can't have you coming to accident in emergency or blocking up a hospital bed because you turned down the diabetes uh, vaccine. I think that's where it's all going. Yeah, uh, well, uh, you're right.
6: It's it's an end to journalism. It's an end to to investigative journalism. It's an end to critical thinking. The idea is everyone has done your thinking for you um, and you just do as you're told, because why would you not? You know the the idea is to get out of people's minds the idea that they might question stuff. Now of course there's still quite a few of us around that question everything even more because of that. And I think actually they're on a hiding to nothing doing it. But you know having had a I've never actually been to China but having quite a lot to do with the Chinese, including Chinese journalists, I can see quite clearly what's happened over there is that the people who are very pliable and will do as they're told are promoted and they've got a society where this is looked up to. People who start questioning things end up you know sweeping the streets or just or sleeping on them you know so you've got a totally topsy-turvy society and it seems that we're kind of uh, copying that sort of thing over here too and that, that's what bothers me most about this is we're not being encouraged to think and in fact when we do start thinking we're being censored so the idea you know, is, is quite obvious it's, it's rather the Martin Bormann quote if I'm allowed to use that uh, Hitler's private secretary at the uh, last few years of the second world war every educated person is a future enemy and yeah. they don't want people to be educated they really don't want people to be thinking for themselves and talk critical thinking because they know they'll see straight through these people who, who are now trying to run the show, basically a privatisation of government, as we've been seeing in Bristol over the years. The the local government we pay council tax to, it does absolutely the minimum services, and it just treats it like their own little fiefdom, which they yeah. spend money on their mates. And uh, that, that's where we are, I think, now, is that the government system is being, I mean, it's becoming fascistic. We were told yeah. when we had a Bristol mayor back in 2012, we were told uh, by the opposition at the time, well, if this goes through, we could end up with a dictatorship. We've got a dictatorship where, you know, the mayor, As the, the, the article, that I, I mean, we've got the elections coming up on Thursday. The mayor, uh, it, it, as I discovered from interviewing somebody, he, he, he fell out with some one of the local businessmen or he had a disagreement with him. He got into a temper. He stalk, stalked off. And that, that guy uh, can no longer rent property in the city you know, from the, off the city council because the, the mayor doesn't like the cut of his jib. Now, this isn't democracy. This is a kind of Sheriff of Nottingham test. It's dreadful, isn't it?
0: That's dreadful. I want to ask you for That is absolutely dreadful. I and mean, we've spoken about this guy before, this Marvin guy. Let me ask you about this. Tony was, was great this morning. I asked Tony to come on today and then I asked him to maybe hold off if I could get some comment on a big story that developed in the last few days in Ireland. And thanks to everybody who sent me a tweet ask me, am I covering the Pat Sweeney story? I'd love to cover it and I hope to get some comment on it in the next day or two. I gave Tony a very kind of ham-fisted explanation. What happened was, um, uh, a week or so ago, the Irish Guardie, the police uh, force in Ireland, um, removed parishioners from a local church in Athlone, told them to get out, which is a tyrannical thing, of course. And Pat took a video of it. Uh, he didn't do anything else other than take a video of it. And, uh, you know, why? why wouldn't he? It's what everybody should do. Well, Saturday morning at 3.30, so Friday night, Saturday morning, The Garda Siakana turned up to his house and removed his children from his care, from their father's care. Uh, There's a video of that which has gone viral online. It's horrendous. I understand the children were believed to have gone to, to foster care temporarily, but they're now back with their mother. And I tell you what, Tony, we don't do melodrama, you or me, or exaggeration. This is tyranny, this. This is the Irish Gardaí basically punishing a guy and warning people, you don't film us, you don't criticise us, we'll do whatever we want. You talk about the Sheriff of Nottingham, I've never seen anything like it. To punish a guy, to basically... What what do we say, Tony? Whistleblowers. Targeting whistleblowers, basically. In in that manner, I've never seen anything like it. Okay, well
6: this is partly because I think we've got absolutely no checks and balances on the police, uh, anymore. I think, you know, the last one was having a decent, um, chief constable, of the Metropolitan police, Robert Mark, who did everything he could to stop corruption. But even then he had hundreds of officers he couldn't sack. Uh, there has been this a brilliant series on BBC two over the last few weeks, uh, called bent coppers crossing the line of duty, which has been explaining how it works really. Uh, the idea of, I mean, one of the most incredible things in that Richie was, where the police, all the detectives in the City of London and uh, CID at Scotland Yard were all called into a briefing about scenes of how to do scenes of crime properly by one of the chief commanders. And it turned out, they were all scratching their heads, what are we doing here? We know all about this. And it turned out that they'd all been brought together to take them off the streets so that an armed robbery could take place with no police around. Jesus. And, you know, this is the sort of thing that's been going on. Uh, and I think it, it ever, ever worse. Every 10 years we get a new group uh, Group which oversees the police supposedly where you can complain to uh, and then they get discredited so they have to make up a new name for it. There isn't any real checks and balances on on these police forces and uh, we've seen the same sort of, thing. you know, we've seen all sorts of police violence going on in Bristol where they just get away with it. There isn't any real uh, accountability. Now once you start going down that line, you know, obviously you, you've got yourself a Gestapo on your hands, yeah. you, you know, a, a police state and I think that's a large part of what, these, what these COVID regulations have been have been brought in around Europe particularly, obviously in the States as well is where it gives the police carte blanche to decide uh, every occasion on whatever they feel to do what they want and I have seen some really positive stuff actually uh, one was you know, if you, if anyone was organising an event which they think might be uh, closed downable by the police, get the, go through the law, I know it's boring, the day before pick out the clauses which allow you to do whatever it is you're doing and just make sure you've got them on a clipboard to hand when the police turn up because I saw this happen uh with the police turn up with about five or six riot vans uh, the girl who was about to speak at this at this rally they were trying to close down showed them the uh, the regulations and they all got on their vans apart from about five or six police and drove how interesting again. how interesting because because the the law is, the at the moment, it's an emotive thing. They can shut the stuff down. Now, of course, if they have to compensate people, well, they don't really care. It's not their money. It's public money they have to compensate people with. So I think, you know, it, it, to actually put them on the spot, actually on uh, at the time, is pro- most probably the best uh, way to go with the police.
0: Brilliant stuff, mate. Folks, thisweek.org.uk, the politics show Fridays with Tony Gosling. There's nothing like it. There isn't. Check him out if you haven't done before. It's at Tony Gosling on uh twitter we better move on and and get peers on to, to- to have a, well, just quickly, just a if canvas. I can say well, something
6: quickly, uh, we, you know, on that show, it's very genuine, because Martin Summers, uh, he's a Republican, Irish Republican, a Labour activist. He's, very, he's pro-lockdown, so we have genuine Barneys week yeah. after week, yeah, yeah, which yeah. Are, you know, I, I think the listeners quite enjoy There's not too, much of, that, sides, there? There's not too
0: much of that anymore, T, on, on radio in the UK. Uh, brilliant, No, mate. that's right. And also, by the way, I've also
6: just brought out, it's just out in paperback, my book about the Martin Borman and the Bilderbergs. So that's just now, if people are interested in that, because there's a lot of research over the years that's gone into that, which is really, I think, about what we're living through now. Which it's is gripping, T. Hang right. on,
0: hang on. It's gripping. Where can they get that book? We talked about this on a program not too uh, long ago. Well, Where can they the get The
6: Bilderberg.org it? website has got all the links, uh, and you can get an actual physical copy, copy of it. But I spoke to you, I didn't I, about the timeline yeah, through yeah. the end. And really, it's the end game of the Second World War. What really happened? The deals done between the Nazis and the Allies for all the technology, for the enriched uranium you know the people that they were going to give new uh, identities to uh, because they already in 1944 decided that they were all going to get together and fight the Russians in the cold yeah. war churchill wanted a new moscow for god's sake you know so i think it's been I, it's been an interesting journey that you know digging out particularly uh, desmond morton who was churchill's private secretary and his role in it all he was very close to king george the you know so they were i think they were manipulating it from the start to make sure they could make as much money as possible out of World War II for the Fourth Reich. Well, you make yeah, a that, brilliant case a for it. Empire. You make a, a brilliant case empire. for it.
0: Bilderberg.org. Check out that book. Buy a copy of the book. Support <laughs> journalism um, like Tony Gosling. Support journalists like Tony Gosling. Tony, I'll move on. We'll do this again, no doubt, in a couple of weeks' time. Always a pleasure. Thanks for your time, mate, as usual. God Speak bless, you. Take care. You too. Tony Gosling there. Bilderberg.org for the book. Check it out. Uh, I recommend, I haven't read it, but I recommend it. I know Tony, I've known Tony for years. We've got to get Piers Corbin on in a couple of moments. Time, I'm running a bit late for that. Uh, Thanks for your tweets. Now, Jean-Anne Crowley, I mention Jean-Anne often. Great, great lady. Uh, Terrific journalist, as well as an actress. She's been following the Pat Sweeney story. Pat was able to get the children's mother over from Paris via Belfast. So the boys are with the mum. She was horribly distressed, no doubt about that. Jean-Anne points out the Irish Gardaí want to make it illegal to film them. Of course they do, no doubt about that. Uh, And decent ordinary people have rallied around. Pat Sweeney and his family, and that's a good thing to hear. And this was tweeted to me in the last moment, and I did see something about this today. And it concerns Donegal, a beautiful part of the world, the far northwest of Ireland. Uh, Mr. K on Twitter says Richie, uh, the it was also announced in Donegal, the Gardaí have introduced a phone-in line for the public to snitch on their neighbours for breaking COVID guidelines. That is true, by the way. This is where we are. It's not 1984. It's not Brave New World Those texts Those uh, great uh, uh, books Those historic books They don't cut it anymore This is beyond 1984 This is beyond Brave New World Way beyond it now We're way beyond that We're way beyond the looking glass The things that are going on and that they're getting away with. Piers Corbin joins me in a moment. Before that, it's music from Queen. It's four minutes past six. This is the Richie Allen radio show, live from Salford, Europe's most listened to independent radio show. Back in three minutes. Right, that is or was Queen, and you're my best friend on the Richie Allen Radio Show, six minutes past six o'clock. It's a great pleasure to welcome back to the programme the physicist, the meteorologist, the one-time Labour councillor, and a candidate in this Thursday's London mayoral election. Lovely to welcome back to the programme, Piers Corbyn. Welcome back, Piers. How
3: are you? Well, I'm uh, great. Uh, We're getting fantastic support around London. I mean, completely seriously, you know. Working class and even middle class communities are uh, backing us and saying so. No. What, what's the?
0: This is you're you're a logical man, obviously as a scientist you're a man mm. of logic, and I know you are getting great support. Yeah. I know this because I get a lot of correspondence from people who say they've met you out and about. Yeah. They're yeah. definitely going to give you a vote. There's no doubt about that. Realistically, what do you, do, do, do you want to happen on Thursday? What would be a good result for you if we accept that it's going to be difficult, you know, to beat Khan or to beat? And I don't want to be negative here, but look, we're, we're logical mm. people, or or to beat the Tory. What what would be the realistic what's your best hope for thursday
3: well uh my best hope is we can win you see i know it sounds astounding but on the ground the labor labor stronghold areas people are saying and they're not people who've met me before generally they've heard about me maybe um and they see our policies and they say they will back us and i know for also for a fact that uh, a lot of Labour members are giving out our leaflets. And they're, they're not, you know, they don't care about Sadiq Khan. They're yeah. not not—they're not promoting their own party. So, you know, the newspapers, I notice the Evening Standard admits that the so-called poll lead, or, well, actually, I don't know if he's got a poll lead, but, um, you know, Khan is losing support. That's what they're saying. I have no doubt now, there's well, an that enormous... Is a fact and uh, where's that support going? Well, it's going to us. It's not going to Tories, because people who've had lockdowns aren't, aren't uh, in favour of Tories, because the Tories imposed them anyway.
0: None of the uh, main political parties have offered so much as a sliver of resistance no. to this lockdown. So they haven't. None of them.
3: No, none of them. And you see, our policies are, are very clear. Um and you know in just in terms of the voting i i mean i've been astounded at the level of support we we've, we've got right now obviously candidates are always uh, optimistic people but uh, uh you know it is it is definitely there if uh, our vote you know our support turns out we will win i mean i know that sounds maybe far fetched but but we will um the people who are like pro lockdown or so forth um are actually, I think, less determined to vote. You know what I mean. They're not. They're not going to do much about it. So it'll be a low poll and uh, a low a bit, turnout. A, you think? A, yeah. A you think turnout. a low turnout?
0: And you think those that are for lockdowns or maybe lukewarm, maybe lukewarm support for lockdowns might not be inspired on Thursday to go out and and to uh, to cast their vote, maybe not. No. I admire the optimism and I wouldn't knock it.
3: We have people who are, you know, going along with uh, various things the government's done and go along with wearing masks, sort of, but uh, they're voting for us. I mean, not all of them, obviously, but a lot of them are. I mean, when you meet people, if they're not wearing masks, they're pretty likely to be voting for us. Yeah. But the ones who are wearing masks... uh, I also can see now increasingly that there's something wrong and therefore the lockdowns have to end. And we are the uh, the clearest exponents of ending lockdowns, along with other policies which are very important for Londoners. For example, well, I'll tell you our top five policies, you see. Um, it's no lockdowns and no masking and ending the COVID rules. And I can do that by telling the police not to implement the uh, government's uh, guidelines, that's their legal status, on, uh, on COVID rules. Second thing is I'm saying that we will have to talk with the NHS and demand or campaign or fight to make the NHS stop leaving people with serious illnesses behind, like cancer patients dying because they're um, excluded because of the COVID rules. Um, third thing is we would stop the ultra low emission zone extension to the north and south circular roads now a lot of your listeners wonder what is that well it's the rules whereby people with not new cars have to pay more to drive around Yeah. and that means a lot of businesses will go bust um, and they're already uh, in difficulties and you see the Huge expansion of this area means it's going to have a devastating effect on a lot of London, but it also means people who are driving to avoid this extended zone will go greater distances along the north and south circular roads. So that will cause actually more pollution because there's more f- fuel used to get to any place. Um, and uh, the third or the fourth thing, rather, is our housing policies, for example, which are. Um, very uh, forceful, whereby we can build 400,000 more homes or get 400,000 more homes in, in the life of a uh, mayorship, um, largely by converting... Um, commercial properties into housing and already the City of London has started actually doing this. And which type of commercial properties now,
0: Piers? Which Which type of commercial properties are you well, talking... Empty, there's a lot of empty
3: commercial office properties. Not Not all commercial properties are suitable, obviously, and some of them yeah. should be converted in my watch to uh, use by... Uh, for youth centres and so on. Um, but we could end homelessness within uh, the term and... Uh, the next most important point, or is uh, no to um, uh, various testings and um, uh, passports, uh, which you have to have for for jabs and so on, yeah. which are, I think, you know, uh, completely unacceptable. And it's the medical apartheid thing.
0: What do you think about the likelihood? We we're still waiting for Michael Gove to report on on his on his what did he do? He 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 went to report and he was sent to report on how a vaccine passport system would work. And we understood yeah. that. We understood that initially they were going to say, OK, we might need these for overseas travel, whether we like it or not. But of course, the really interesting thing is what they might recommend domestically. Do you Are you convinced that, I mean, it's a stupid question maybe, they're obviously going to come back, aren't they, and say that they would prefer... That we use these vaccine passports as they are doing in Israel, namely to go to hotels, to gyms, to theatres. Uh, I don't know when Gove is due to report back. It was supposed to be a week or so mm. ago. Maybe they're a bit worried about the um, th- maybe they're worried about the timing of it. Maybe they think it's not the right time to do it. But there's no doubt they want to do this, right? This is their plan.
3: Yes. Well, I think on the the this sort of passporting, there's actually two things going on. One is. It's uh, part of the general ideological uh, brainwashing, and um, it's to give you, give the public contagion fear, to remind them all the time there's this dangerous COVID thing, and they've got to do what they're told. Um, so the vax passport is largely a mental thing. Um, you see, the threat of it is all they need to then, because then people start complying and. And uh, well, getting 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 the jab anyway, yeah. uh, uh, and so on, in case the passport gets gets imposed. So it's it's a self-imposition, but it's also part of, I would say, a kind of general move for um, all sorts of testing. You, you know, so they want to have more and more testing and control of of uh, anything that people people might have and which i think is is all part of the whole orchestra of of control which the new normal and new world order want they want control and compliance
0: you mentioned earlier on something very interesting you mentioned that labor members have been handing out your leaflets i have no doubt that's true um Mm. that's kind of positive that before, you oh, know, definitely. Yeah. You look at Labour at the moment. You have Keir Starmer. I I would argue possibly the worst leader in the history of the Labour Party, at least as long as I've been alive. Forget Blair. Blair goes without saying. Blair was a maniacal mass murdering mm. madman. Forget Blair. Um, so 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 that that's positive. That that you know that there is still some resistance in the Labour Party, at least amongst the rank
3: and file. Anyway, uh, you yes. know. Yes. Oh, yeah. absolutely. A lot of these people are were supporters. Of my brother, you, you know. I mean, I know some of them, and it's very clear. They they said, "Oh well, Piers, we've been campaigning for your brother, and now now we'll campaign for you." And it, you know that we've got councillors that have stood up, and ex-councillors, councillor um, uh, Omar Ahmed in in Manchester, who came down specially to speak at a, at a rally to say he's so, urges everyone to support me. Now, he might be expelled for this. Who knows? and other people who were campaigning for my brother are also uh, sticking their necks out. Um, and, you know, w- with that sort of base, uh, it means we, we can win. I mean, it's I know it's astounding, but uh, obviously it's, the way is, you know, the, 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 they've got a pretty biased voting system, but you have to get, you know, the first two candidates who've got enough first preferences can uh, one of those is going to win in the end, so it's important that I get as many first preferences as possible. That that is the
0: that's the unique. that's the aim. You're listening to Piers yeah. Corbyn. Piers is a physicist. He's a meteorologist and a former Labour councillor. You know all about Piers um, and the Weather Action website. Uh, known him for years, talking about climate change, the hoax mm-hmm. that is climate change, and many other issues. Piers is standing on a number of platforms, as he's just outlined the policies. That he would implement if he was to win uh, the election on Mm -hmm. Thursday. But primarily, I suppose it's anti-lockdown, anti-vaccine passports. I put an article on my website today. Um, It seems to me there's a big issue here. It's a bit late to do anything about it now, but we've got to look at it in, in the near future that Twitter, ironically today the Iranian government is being accused of trying to interfere in a Scottish election on Thursday. It's the most preposterous and ridiculous story (laughs) I've ever read, Piers, right? Why? uh, It's mental, exactly why. And you know what? On the same day Twitter is banning people who have paid their deposit and have put their names on a ballot, whether it be in London like yourself or whether it be in Manchester. Now if that isn't Election interference. I don't know what is.
3: It's incredible. Yeah. No, they've done it to the, you. This <laughs> election, yeah, is the the amount of interference by mainstream media into the democratic process is astounding. I mean, all right. The BBC have completely ignored our campaign. Uh, in fact, they've really just got the um, uh, you know the traditional political parties there and pretending the rest don't exist. Um, even though we're doing extremely well, um, they just pretend there's nothing going on. The Evening Standard today carries an article, a two-page spread here. Um, it says, violent crime crisis dents the Carn political lead. We've just days to go. And then it's got a headline, Bailey, Berry, Fox or Count Biniface." So you see, they remove us completely and put uh, a ridiculous candidate as a, as a possibility. And they've got a list of some uh, of ten candidates, so they left out half the candidates, including, including me, in their list. Now that is unbelievable. Now I don't know who it was who said, "There's uh, there's one thing worse than being talked about, and that is not not being thing talked, talked about. about." Yeah. You see, and I, I think the mainstream media and politicians have realised that when they arrest me or attack me, it backfires on them because. We normally have things to say, and they have to report them because (laughs) they're in response to things they've said. So now they've decided to give a total blank to us, which, of course, is a sign of our strength. Um, But the only way we can overcome that is by um, leafleting at doorsteps and uh, alternative media. Well, it's it's funny you say. All power to all the alternative media. Absolutely. It's funny you say
0: this now because while we rage against the BBC's refusal to cover the fact that several hundred thousand people gathered in London. Why we get pissed mm. off about that? I bet you that if you went around all the various YouTube channels and channels on BitChute and channels on other uh, brand new tube, whatever, um, it, it almost makes it inconsequential that the BBC doesn't cover it. Because if you add up all the views around the alternative, you're talking millions of views. This message is getting out there. Like you said, when they've arrested you wrongfully, treated you badly, you know, people have been there to film this. This has gone, as we say, it's gone viral. So for the moment, you know, it doesn't seem to matter that that they refuse to cover it. At the moment, I mean, it might become Mm -hmm. more difficult to get things on social media in in, in the future. I wanted to ask you this. We've got Piers Corbyn on. Piers is running for London Mayor this coming Thursday. And um, all the best to him on Thursday as well. I wanted to ask you Mm -hmm. this. I know you've been speaking to people over the years, recent years. I mean, I think the first Mm -hmm. time I saw you was I was in London in 2013. And I think you may have come into TPV to talk about something uh, with somebody, oh, yeah. or or a, or, a, but it wasn't with me. It was could have been with Mark or somebody like that. Yeah. So I knew it. No, that's I've, I've that's been in there a couple
3: of times. Yeah.
0: That's right. You came in a couple of times. So I knew that this guy, Piers Corbyn, who's well known as a meteorologist, and he's well known because his brother was a Labour MP at the time. I, m- I remember thinking, this guy's clued in. You've known for some years, haven't you, that the Orwellian dysto—I shouldn't say Orwellian; it's beyond Orwellian. This dystopian mm. nightmare. That's unfolding in front of our eyes. You've been alive to that for more years than many people understand. It's not a recent thing for you.
3: No, that is very true. Um, yeah, I mean, it basically started unfolding in 1992 with the Earth Summit at Rio. And interestingly, when you look back, you can see lots of social policies changed in the wake of that. And one thing I noticed was, uh, well, obviously, two things: the climate. Nonsense story that man is responsible for changes of climate and therefore CO2 is bad and therefore that's an anti industrialization project. Okay, and the second thing is though, uh, the regeneration of working class areas because uh, this phrase regeneration suddenly popped up. Then, uh, when Go- uh, Tony Blair was elected in 1997, he went to the estate near me. 90- the Ellsbury Estate, as it's called, Elephant and Castle area, Walworth area, and said, oh yes, uh, the people here can have what they want. However, when they had a vote on it, the people voted against what Tony Blair wanted them to want. So, you know, the struggle goes on. But these regeneration programmes sound nice, but all of them are about destruction of working class community strength. And, And you see, this is all central to the uh, new normal and yeah. the new world order. They have to destroy trade union strength, working class community strength, and in fact all strengths of, of collectively people or even individual rights in order to um, get a compliant population which is um, controlled.
0: They were very clever with language, weren't they, over the years? You've talked about this Absolutely. many times. Because Absolutely, as, as you just yeah. said, these when, when, when these are presented to people, they sound and look so benign and they look so benevolent. How could you argue with some of these terms, you know, regeneration? It sounds lovely, Um, but ultimately when you look into it, and I know you went around the country with Sandy Adams and Mark Windows and you did some fantastic talks where you explained to people in brilliant detail uh, in a way that they could understand, you know, this is what these projects mean. They do mean the destruction of your way of life. And it's coming yeah, at the speed yeah, of light. Yeah. People have to to kind of wise up to it, you know. Here's a question for you, peers, and yep. uh, put you on a spot now. How much of these agendas do you think people like Tony Blair understood, or is Blair just a stupid frontman who'll do anything for a book and really doesn't understand? That he's selling i am not trying to give him a pass now—but that he wouldn't see the bigger picture. You know, you have seen the bigger picture. You understand where it goes. But but is Blair, Blair just a guy who would just do anything, and say anything if the price is right, not knowing what the agenda really is? What do you think? Um, no, I think he's smarter than that. He knows. Well,
3: uh, after I was—I was a Labour campaign organizer in the '97 election, and. Uh, I met Tony Blair after that because I was deemed to be one of the best voluntary organisers in the country. And um, then I, I i have to say, I, I didn't think of him as being, because uh, it was only 98 or so I, I met him. Yeah, he uh, was only enough of He, a he year. seemed like just, you know, uh, sort of progressive whatever. and But uh, likely, I would say, beneath it, there was always this intention uh, and... Uh, a New World Order um, intention, you see, which was uh, more was borne out. In fact, I didn't fully understand what was going on then, uh, just starting off on day one on the Aylesby Estate, for example, where they wanted a demolition programme. Of course, subsequent Labour governments under Gordon Brown, when the tenants voted against the demolition, um, uh, David Miliband came along, as Minister of Something, to uh, reverse the democratic process yeah. and said, knock it down. Now, there's been much to and fro and, and resistance and uh, confusion with the uh, housing associations involved that it's still three quarters there, the, the, the buildings. But it, it would seem to me that actually Blair's general intentions were there all the time. We just didn't realise them. And I don't think he's a, he's just a front man. No, I think he's a, he's a, he's a key player.
0: He's a uh, he's um he's a uh, he's darker he's deeper into it maybe than yeah than people like yes. me think no it's great to get that point of view um I I would have thought previously that player like everybody else that ends up in Downing Street is compromised at some stage along his journey you know compromised with money or compromised with you know he's induced into taking part in a financially illegal transaction maybe or something even more sinister that's how I thought they got these guys to do their bidding I'm not sure that's untrue but I'm willing to concede you know more than Mm. I do and Blair, yeah, I mean I'm going to go along with you, I look at Blair now going Mm. on television and you know, advocating for tyrannical vaccine passports advocating for vaccinating children Piers, both of us know that whatever coronavirus is, it doesn't touch children they do no. not need to be vaccinated no. so blair is a special case maybe yeah
3: yes that's right and on this issue of immunity and so on of course michael Yeadon, you know formerly of the um glaxo, glaxo I think you want for the, he wrote the, the, it, the didn't camp it. yeah yeah, yeah. that he says that once you've had uh, one of these um covid like or any sort of flu sim- things then it, your immune system overcomes it. And that makes you immune to all the similar strains of this thing. So the idea of a mutant suddenly coming to attack everybody is just a nonsense. It won't attack, but it can't attack people who've already had it. Yeah. And uh, children themselves, of course, are not... Well, they're developing their immune systems. So uh, vaccinating them is going to cause harm because the these... these uh, these jabs um, reduce the immunity of children or anybody who, who gets them. And the consequence of that is that other diseases can spread. So that that is what will happen. So the, the danger, I think, the population has isn't of, of, from people who haven't been jabbed, it's from people who have been jabbed, um, because that is going to open the door to other illnesses. And that happened after... Bill Gates' experiments in India and Africa had been done, and it showed that girls uh, were dying at uh, 10 times the rate uh, uh, if if they'd been jabbed than if uh, if they hadn't been jabbed. If they hadn't been. Um, Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's it's a clear damage to the immune system. I'm not going to waste my time.
0: I'm not going to waste my time and your time by mm -hmm. arguing the point of view of the government or of the sage scientists. I'm not going to do that. And I'll no, tell you why. No. I'm not going to insult the intelligence of our listeners. Our listeners know that these are not vaccines. These are therapeutic drugs. They they admit as much. They say that these vaccines will not prevent you getting coronavirus but if, but, but by taking one, it reduces the risk of you having a serious infection. So this is nonsense. This is their own uh, claim. This is the words from their own mouths. It won't stop you getting it, but if you have the vaccine, it will mean that when you get coronavirus, your symptoms won't be so bad. It's horse shit, Piers, is what it is. Yeah, yeah I, I've been yeah. a journalist long enough. This is nonsense. Why would you? I'd rather take my risk and my chances with the virus. Thanks you know if, if well I, <laughs> yeah
3: i mean the the figures of injury and death and illness arising from uh what's been going on is astounding now if i'd been saying well we have been saying people should take ivermectin or chloroquine and zinc to overcome these sort of symptoms of these uh, these types of flu um if anybody had died from taking ivermectin, I'm sure the newspapers would be outside my office. Of course, they would, uh, uh, accusing me of death. But there's hundreds. I mean, I haven't got the figures in front of me right now, but you know, uh, six hundred deaths, I think, and uh, uh, thousands of illnesses, uh, you, you know, as a consequence of of having having these jabs. We know by the yellow we know by the yellow card you know. reporting system, don't we? That we do. It's a yellow card. There i got it. 847 death toll and 626,000 reactions. is a total from 9th of December to the 15th of April.
0: I will be the year. devil's advocate here. I will be the devil's advocate. How can we be sure that the 847 died as a direct result of having the vaccine when, when the yellow card reporting system is anecdotal? In nature. So, how do we know that 800, uh, 850, 900 people have died from the vaccine? Yeah. Why, why do we believe that?
3: Well, it's a uh, strange coincidence to have these sort of numbers, and they are people who reported this or their families reported it, that they believed it was uh, from the, the, the vaccine. You see, uh, well, I've got an example of a case a friend of a friend who reported on, you know, this had happened. He, he said uh, somebody received the jab, and um, two days later they died from a uh, a brain hemorrhage, a blood clot. Yeah. And uh, you know, I asked him, did he want to say anything to some alternative or other media that was around? And he didn't want. To. Uh, he, he burst into tears. He couldn't cope. And I don't blame and, him, And, and, and no, I
0: no. I interviewed a lovely couple um, recently who 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 believed that their their father and father in law mm-hmm. colin colin wise colin was 91 and incredibly healthy still yeah, yeah, looking yeah, after yeah. himself at home and anyway they gave him the without the family knowing they gave him uh the the, the astrazeneca jab one and hey. with, with within days the man was in a desperate situation in hospital he clung on for mm-hmm. weeks and eventually died um the, his son alan came on with me and caroline his uh, daughter in law Colin Wise, and they're convinced the vaccine played a part in his death. I'll tell you something funny about that case uh, not mm. not funny, I don't mean funny but something sniffy about it The when they wrote up the death certificate they left out the fact that he had a clot on his lung and was Really? On, yes and when the, 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 the coroner or the person registering the death rang up the family the family said why did you leave out the clot without missing a beat the uh, the the registrar person said, oh, "Oh, I'll put it on. I'll put it on." So they knew really? they knew the clot was central to uh, Colin mm. passing away, and the clot uh, might very well have come from. The Astrazeneca vaccine, so it's um. You just don't know. I know you've had probably countless letters. Have you, peers, or texts, or or did they give up on asking you to come <laughs> and have the jab? They must have given up pretty quick, did they?
3: Well, yes. I I've seen another letter from the NHS today, which I admit I haven't yet opened, but I'm sure that's what it's about. Yeah. Um. It's well. You see, we now have a coercion regime. The the NHS has been stolen from us, and it is a coercive. Dictatorial operation, like the worst of tyranny under under Hitler or Stalin. I mean, it's you know, it's that is the way it's going, and it is 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 really worrying. Um, And at the same time as these these things, we've got a big upsurge in propaganda of all forms to try and coerce or brainwash people into. Uh, Subordination Um, and all these reports of India. Well, I was just going to bring. Can can I? Can
0: I just ask the question before you? Before you you give. No, no, no. Don't be apologising. I'm interrupting. I shouldn't be interrupting. But because I was, because I was bringing it on to India, I was going to Ah, make the point. I was going to make the point that your opponents would say, Piers is living in cloud cuckoo land. Things might be lovely at the moment. Uh, You know, lockdown has driven down cases and deaths. That's what they would say. And they would say, look at India.'" Look at India as to why we need to be careful. A variant in that country is causing uh, a catastrophic uh, amount of of deaths and illnesses. That's what they would say. What do you think is going on in India?
3: Uh, well, it's it's a fake operation. I have, we have people campaigning with us um, in the uh, largely in the Sikh and Punjabi community, but others too who. who who say that it is is a fake thing. But what is happening there, we have a massive united campaign of Hindus, Sikhs, uh, Christians, everybody against the attempted takeover of the land by the Indian government uh, and the mega corporations. Um, And in partly to subjugate the indian population of course they will exaggerate any deaths and claim that uh, this or that is caused by by covid but for us these stories are to subordinate us and make people scared uh that this might happen here now you look the two countries where these biggest um crises are happened are brazil and india and both of them have very reactionary regimes very much pro new world order and uh, uh, we know in the case of brazil a lot of that was exposed as being false and that is the same as is happening in india where uh, people we work with have just pointed out there's been uh, fake photographs exaggerated stories and so forth and, of course, reportage in a manner which confuses people on the West because bear in mind that India is a vast yeah. population. So large numbers of people dead, if anything, is much less significant You mentioned there Brazil. Hang on. And you mentioned Brazil. You
0: mentioned Brazil. Yes, M- I did. My understanding of Brazil is that Bolsonaro has been very much anti-lockdown. And uh, I know there's an inquiry into his handling of the pandemic there. There's a Brazilian Senate inquiry. So I know, I know, I know why you're saying that it's pro mm. new world order. But Bolsonaro has kind of been Brazil's Trump, hasn't he? And he's um, well wanted to yeah, open I up. I think and- it's, it's
3: obviously complicated. But the story that's coming out is, is been... um well somebody out there has been, you know, uh, promoting exaggerating the deaths of all sorts of, of, of so called COVID in order to. Uh, and promote a certain agenda. No, what I said is an oversimplification. I would say of 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 the details there. But the that country has been used like that in the same way as as India.
0: Yeah, he's um he's he's really against the deforestation of the Amazon, and um, Bolsonaro. Yes. you know many of the things that he would claim to be in favour of, we would agree with. But I, I understand where. Uh, where you're coming from. Ultimately, the things they're claiming about Brazil, we're not going to get... to. T- you know, a BBC presenter is not going to interview Bolsonaro. No. Uh, they're not no, going to interview no, him on no. Sky News. So w- it's the same with India. You know, I know there is opposition in India to the claims being made. I mm-hmm. had an Indian uh, an Indian listener phoned uh, the programme last week from just outside Delhi, and she said to me that it's wildly exaggerated, the claims yeah, being made about, yeah, yeah, about yeah, Delhi, yeah. and she's no reason to say that unless she believes it. But this is the, I suppose this is the ultimate uh, result of what has happened to the media being concentrated in the hands of only a few corporations. They get get to tell us these stories about India and we don't get access to people or easy access anyway, who say, well, hang on a second, this is just rubbish. This is not my experience. But they want us to believe that people are dropping dead uh, on the streets in parts of uh, New Delhi. And, uh, you know, I don't know what to believe to be honest with you. I know what I suspect, but I don't know what to believe. Piers Corbyn is our guest, friend of the programs we mm-hmm. We've known Piers a long time. He's standing for Mayor of London this coming Thursday. And a busy old time for him now in the next couple of, of days. Of course, with the lockdown nonsense, Piers, um, yep. hustings and debates have been difficult. Have you managed to I mentioned this when I interviewed David Curtin last week. Have you managed to to do any of that? Have you managed to take part in any debates or have your say online?
3: No. We did uh, uh, invite all candidates to come along to Hyde Park Speaker's Corner and have have a debate. And, um, well, basically, uh, they didn't show up. I mean, we had some communications, but they didn't, didn't show up. Green Party said they were too busy doing stuff. Um, David Curtin did come to some other thing we had in Hyde Park and we had a bit of a discussion. The the, um, the woman who wants the uh, uh, community councils, as she calls them, or, or something like that, uh, she came along, but uh, that was, again was to a different event when we went to the BBC to demand uh, a fair hearing. So no, we haven't got those things off the ground, although we've attempted. There is meant to be something on alternative media happening on Wednesday evening, uh, which we've certainly agreed to take part in. But uh, I don't know if other candidates will get involved. I mean, but I know for certain that uh, uh, Sadiq Khan and the Tories won't turn up to these things, because the last thing they want, and the last thing the BBC wants, is is debate. I, I mean, you see, as mayor, I would insist on proper balanced debate on everything. Um, For elections, you've got to have proper open hustings and the COVID situation is used as a cover to not have those things. On any debates about health um, or pollution, um, whether or not... um, exclusion zones for vehicles work or not, you know, those things, we would have proper scientific debate with both sides represented. And we would demand the BBC has both sides represented. I mean, the different sides of uh, debates on jabs and vaxes yeah. would have to be represented in such uh, discussions. And we would say the BBC ought to report them. It seems so like a long time ago, doesn't it?
0: It seems like a long, long time ago that you could depend on a programme to offer both sides of any debate, you know, an opportunity. I was listening to, I was listening to, um, it must have been talk radio briefly this morning. I listened to all of them. Uh, I flick around between them. And Mike Graham had John Lee, the former pathologist, on. And he was saying, you know, the thing that, that, the thing he finds most difficult to understand is how the media has been able to ostracise academics from some of the country's most reputable universities. You know, people like Carl Hennigan and others, how they've basically been cast to one side, even though they have earned the right, as you've earned the right as an academic, to have an opinion. It's the the sage scientists all the time telling us lockdown, lockdown, more lockdown masks, and you've got all of these other people who've earned their stripes, who've got their degrees and their PhDs, and they're not given so much as uh, two minutes or three minutes. I-, I do believe that Sunetra Gupta might have been on BBC News 24 mm-hmm. with Anita McVeigh the other morning. But with the greatest respect to Sunetra Gupta, I imagine she's a brilliant woman. and I, I imagine she's got a brilliant mind as a scientist. She's not the best communicator in the world, God lover. And, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 i you know i don't want to be offending anybody by saying that but that's an astonishing thing it was a given when i started in radio as a producer that if you brought somebody on you know to say that you know we need to lock people down to save the to, to, to save the elderly it was an absolute given that you would find another scientist who says that's bollocks don't do that and you would do it you would have a proper debate that's gone Piers. that's completely gone. gone
3: yeah no absolutely Now the thing that they the Current powers that be fear most from me. There's two things. One is I would be committed to action to resist and stop the uh, new world order. And that means standing up to the government by saying the police have to follow what we say and not implement Boris Johnson's rules. Um, Would cause cause all such legal challenges on the NHS. They've got to implement the Nuremberg Code and therefore have no coercion of people uh, into taking anything. And those who have been implementing coercion should be arrested, and that would mean that uh, Matt Hancock should be arrested, for example. So I would be doing things which would challenge uh, the impositions upon us and not just comply with whatever limit the government said, because the only way we're going to break the... New World Order, is by actually breaking the rules of being imposed. So that's the first thing. That's important, civil disobedience. Fighting. Civil disobedience,
0: a, right? You yeah, see,
3: absolutely. Everything, people on the ground yeah. would be supporting what I'm doing and vice versa. And the second thing is, I would be bringing scientific debate into things. So we'd make a scientific discussion of actual data, actual measurements by scientists, Um, central to decision making now these things of course go together accountability and science go together and we can win with these, we can make a better world but the new world order sort of scenario if you think about it um, they know that science and uh, uh, tyranny are incompatible and that was shown in uh, Germany before the war and uh, in in stalinist russia where you see if you have scientific debate you've got to have openness and so forth well if you don't want scientific debate you've got to suppress openness so you know uh, hitler wanted to impose the idea of the master race and stalin wanted to impose various ideas about inheritance of acquired characteristics so um, you know, if people had said one thing in the Russian Academy of Sciences that they, he didn't, Stalin didn't agree with, they wouldn't be there at the next meeting. So, you know, the suppression of scientific debate necessitates tyranny, and they completely go together. So people have to realize that, the, you know, where we're heading is actually an anti-scientific world uh, run by a, uh, well... Completely unacceptable. Centralised dictatorship. Uh, Tyranny, yes. Centralised dictatorship. Do you believe
0: that people like Carl Hennigan know more than they're letting on? I hear Carl Hennigan on talk radio. I've invited Mm. him on this programme. He turned me down. Well, I know why. I know why other people have come on the programme and they've been um, hammered in the mainstream media for coming on. Yeah. yeah, So he sees that and he says, if I go on with Richie Allen, I'll be in... I'll be in the Daily Mail or I'll be in the Guardian because or oh, Richie interviewed some guy, some, some anti-Semitic guy two years ago or three years ago. It's bollocks. It doesn't matter. But I wonder, yeah, yeah, these yeah. guys, they must know more. I mean, if you're Carl Hennigan, he's like yourself. Mm-hmm. He's educated. He's university mm-hmm, degree mm-hmm. educated. He cannot know at this stage in his life. He cannot believe, surely he can't believe that this is just bad management. He, this is mm-hmm. bad policy. He's got to be thinking deeper than that, Piers. He must. Be. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, no, I agree. I think a lot of them do know the, what the agenda is, and yeah. either go along with it or don't go along with it. But they do know, and it helps them to pretend not to know.
0: And maybe he thinks he's doing as best as he can. Maybe he thinks, you know, I've got bills. Yeah, yeah. I've got bills yeah, yeah. to pay. I might have a big mortgage. You know, if I go if i go the piers Corbyn route and just tell the truth mm. balls and all as you do to your credit he might think well if i do that i could be you know i could be in serious trouble well
3: you know that is true no i've got friends who said at meetings you know off off the record piers you might well be right this was on climate matters yeah. but i've got a mortgage to pay yeah. so you know th- they have compromised now because i'm Working independently, have an independent company of my own which sells some forecasts, even though I spent a lot of time doing this type of campaigning yeah. uh, for the election. Uh, you know it still is that I can't be pushed around by you know the likes of the Royal society or anybody who who doesn't like my views. Yeah, it takes a lot of courage, yeah. Pierce. or doesn't like my scientific results and wants no. me to essentially suppress the truth, what I know to be true, just by, you know, what we've understood and studied about solar activity.
0: You've been doing it for years too. It's not a recent thing. If I was in London, even though I've not cast a vote in an Mm. election proper since 2002, I did vote, I haven't, no, I did vote in um, 2016. I voted, Mm. I voted no, I, I voted yes to leaving the European Union I voted to leave the European Union (laughs) I did it for the crack really I didn't think for a minute that that we'd win but I did it, but no I've not voted for a candidate because I've believed and I know you uh, you, 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 we could argue about it but I think we're on kind of the same wavelength I believe that the system has been rigged for years and that whoever you vote for, whichever party I don't mean your brother now, I don't mean Mm -hmm. an individual but whichever party is in power ultimately Two sides of the same kind, and the globalists that we talk about, the financiers—they control everything. So I've not done that, but if I was in London yeah. on Thursday, I don't know how does it work. Are you allowed to vote your first preference and then give a second preference? Yeah. And a third preference, as for, for
3: mayor, you put a first preference, which is what we must have for me, and you can put a second preference for mayor. Then you have another ballot for your local candidate. Yeah. Uh, and there we have our there's 14 different areas of London, and we we have some uh, let London live candidates. Good. Um, and the third thing is there's a London-wide list, uh, which uh, you just cast your votes for these party lists, and then the percentages will enable um I get uh, you. numbers of people proportional proportional representation
0: it's a system we have in sort of yeah, yeah in yeah. a sort of it's not exactly you're quite right it's not exactly the same i i so i suppose you would hope then that people who give their number one to peers would give That's their it. number two to somebody like david Curtin or another well, maybe yeah. maybe yeah, david of course, of course. and uh, be, you
3: know that would be be fine you know and i'm I mean, sure
0: he would it. say that anybody who gives him a number one would give you a number two. I didn't ask him and I'm not asking you either so I shouldn't put you on the spot either. But all, Okay,
3: all, well, all I'm saying is we need the number one. You need the to, number ones, to, yeah, of course there. you
0: do. Look, mate, I, I, I wish you the best on on Thursday. I hope you're right. Miracles do happen from time to time, you know, and uh, mm. you, uh, you're you getting the feel on the ground as you said earlier on. You're, you're, you're meeting smart. plenty of That's people smart. who've had enough of this nonsense and uh, who want to, to, to back somebody who would, would would try and bring an end to it. So all I can say is I... I wish you the very best. If there's anything you want to say before uh, we wrap things up, anything you think you might have uh, forgotten to say, now's the time to do it. And like I said, I wish you all the best on Thursday.
3: Thank you very much indeed, Richie, because your support is welcome all the time over the years. Yes, I would say that we do have the policies and determination that can roll back the New World Order and the example this will give around the country and even the world will be tremendous. So getting me elected there and us standing up on day one telling the police what to do um, launching legal challenges against the NHS, bringing in new housing policies uh, defending free speech I mean, you know, such as rights of of assembly and travel. We'd be supporting Julian Assange. You know, we'd have an international dimension of what we're we're doing. Um, We would also end some of these little crazy policies around London of road closures all over the place which are damaging to business and give local people power um, over these things, like have little groups who want to set themselves up like, let Walworth live, let Camden live, or whatever, where they can decide what is right or wrong about these, these modifications. Um, and our general thrust about the NHS, uh, and again, through pressure from the mayor, we could campaign to get wellness as a priority before the interests of the big pharmaceutical companies. Um, and the government would have to compensate all people who've died or injured from having the vaccine and all those who coerced or misled people into taking the vaccine uh, would be culpable and that means I'm quite serious that we would be talking about the arrest of Matt Hancock and I would be saying to the Metropolitan Police, look, you have to implement civil policing and stop this harassment of the public uh, or especially uh, businesses um, just because of the COVID thing. So, you know, in summary, the two words to end on would be I would be standing for action to stop the new world order and make London and even the world a better place and secondly, I'd bring scientific debate into the political sphere where it has been very sadly lacking over the last uh, five decades.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And the website is still stopnewnormal.net is that right?
3: Uh, Well that is very good but the best one to go to would be letlondonlive.org letlondonlive.org the campaign itself but they are completely uh, connected Brilliant.
0: All the best on Thursday. We'll be watching it closely Piers and thanks for your time.
3: Thank you very much indeed, Richie. You're welcome.
0: All the best for Thursday. Piers Corbin, folks. um, LetLondonLive.org. LetLondonLive.org. That's the website. A million thanks to Piers for coming on today. Hey, listen, before I go, um, some bad news from Spiro Skouras. Now, you'll know that I um, have a a lot of time for for Spiro. I regard him highly. He's a a journalist with um, great integrity. And he's had um, a YouTube channel for some years that has become very popular because he he uploads interviews with men and women on any number of issues you care to think of. And they're brilliantly constructed interviews. Uh, He's very fair. And as long as I've known him, he doesn't go to air with a claim or a comment unless he can validate it. He's old school Spiro, he applies journalistic principles to everything he does. And I think he's had nearly 100,000 subscribers, if not more, on his YouTube channel. Uh, Well he's just sent me a depressing message, it's been deleted basically. Google has deleted his YouTube channel for so-called community strikes, okay? They've deemed that some of his content is unacceptable for one reason or another, and they've um, deleted his channel dreadful stuff, this. It's happening to people all the time, day by day. And uh, activistpost.com is where you'll find Spiro Scouras at the moment. He'll be on this programme again, soon discussing uh, these matters, of course, lockdown and other matters. But Spiro Scouras channel has been uh, deleted. I'm sure he'll appeal that, and, and and maybe common sense will prevail and maybe he'll get his channel back. But uh, Spiro was recently, of course, deleted from Twitter. His uh, Twitter account was deleted for no good reason either. Um, This is where we are. Right. You know this. I know this. So bad news there for Spiro. Pain in the arse that. And you do feel aggrieved when it happened to me three and a half years ago, my original YouTube channel, which had 100,000 subscribers. You do feel aggrieved. It's got nothing to do with the number of subscribers. It's just the fact that they can do it for no reason. Other than you're interviewing people that are saying things. And that's exactly why they've done it to Spiro. Because he's been interviewing people, credible people who are challenging the established um, the establishment's version of events on any number of issues. So dreadful stuff. Listen, earlier on before uh, I came on air, I put a, a funny little video of uh, the the studio because people often ask me, Orin, oh, I'd like to see your your studio. So on Twitter, I've I've just put a little forty-second video just before going to air. And uh, if you want to see that, maybe you haven't seen it already, Uh, it's there. It's a fantastic studio. You uh, and and people like Jean-Ann Crowley and my mate Patricia and Ruth and and one or two others are responsible for the building of it. The Richie Allen Show is broadcast from a state-of-the-art studio. It's got the best of everything. And what you can't see in the little video are the sound processors under the desk. It really is absolutely mint. It's magnificent. I've not done anything with the walls of the studio we've been now in this location two years, would you believe and um, I'm putting cameras in because eventually I will do some video stuff but it is a marvellous studio. It's brilliant. It's it's the equal of any outside broadcast unit that any commercial radio station would have in the country. Thanks for the kind words about it. You finally get to see it. Um, it's, 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 it's great to come into it every day and present this programme. I, I love it. So thanks for the kind words about it. It really is marvellous. It's a great place to present a radio programme from. And, and I'll eventually put some... It's got all the soundproofing and everything it needs, but I will eventually decorate it with... Um, I don't know. I'll do something with it and then when the video cameras go in it'll look amazing. For those of you who will watch the videos and for those of you who like watching radio, which I don't like, I I find it bizarre really. Radio is radio. But anyway, there you go. Here's a Steelers wheel. Thanks to Piers Corbin. Thanks to Tony Gosling. I'm back with you tomorrow Wednesday at 5 o'clock. Until then it's bye.